Hi. Hello, sir. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> I bet you're wondering where I am and who that guy is. Um, welcome back to episode seven of Daffy's Roundtable. For this episode, we tried to do things a little different and actually recorded the episode in person at my guest's house. So you may hear us refer to certain things in person, uh, like certain animals or certain books. Um, for anyone listening on a podcasting app, don't worry. Everything we discussed will be in the show notes. But if you can watch this episode or listen to it, I highly recommend it. Anyway, my guest today is my personal encyclopedia on all things lychees. And in this episode, he's going to walk us through lychee natural history, caring for lychees, as well as the breeding do's and don'ts of these beautiful lizards. So without further ado, everybody, please help me welcome my good friend, James Ellis, also known as I Am Nomad. Okay. Mr. James, how are you? Um, physically, emotionally, talk to yourself. That is, that's always the answer I get from you. I'm, yeah. I'm doing great. It's been man. a long pandemic, my friend. It has. I, I completely agree. Um, okay. Leeches. Yep. Leeches. Leeches. Leeches are out. Okay. Let us know. How did you get into leeches? Or how did you get into reptiles? And then how did you get into leeches? So, I got into reptiles because my parents are allergic to animal dander. So I was limited to basically just reptiles and fish growing up. Sweet. Fish do basically nothing for me. So I... I have to disagree with you on that, but go ahead. For me, <laughs> I can appreciate they're awesome. Oh, they're beautiful. I have no interest. Fair, fair. Um, so I started out having a single crested gecko when I was five or six. Rapidly turned into having a breeding colony of three within like a year so when you were like six seven yeah oh wow okay. um a long time ago and that was before like crested gecko diets were in the country so it was just doing like home mixed like baby food diets with vitamins okay. mixed in and pre repashi pre pangea pre i mean pretty sure it existed in the states at the time it just didn't exist in canada okay at least it wasn't like very easy to find uh but it was mostly just that and crickets sweet that uh, did you get the baby food pre-mixed or did you mix it yourself? We'd get the baby food pre-mixed and just like mix in calcium with okay, like some cool. basic vitamins in it. And that's the best we could do. Very cool. Very cool. Which still wasn't great. Definitely got some MBD in one of them. Okay. But I mean like for, for what you had, you, you made it. It was right, pretty right? okay. I mean, yeah. they did breed. Oh yeah. You it was supposed good. to be a group of three females, but one of them turned out to be a male after the fact. So you just, just got lucky and ended up breeding. It wasn't intentional. No, okay. And did you sell the babies you produced? Uh, we basically wound up giving them away because people okay. didn't want to pay much for them. There wasn't a huge demand for crested geckos in Ottawa at the time. Probably not even for any reptile at all. No, I mean, reptiles, sure, but not, not, not crested geckos. Like, we were getting, with, between the two females, we got like a lot of eggs. A lot of babies in a season. <laughs> yeah, probably like My dad tells me we got something like 40, but nope. probably more than that. Do you remember the last thing we were talking about, Em? Oh yeah, 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 the less they were bred, so back then that they there was more of a demand and and it was like two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah. That'd be good. 
Yeah, so maybe the prices are going up after that, or once the morphs were introduced. Well, it's more that um, like the morphs that were available in Ottawa were like super basic. Yeah, so like just very the, very low. Um, the green and yellow Harlequins, and pretty much that's it. Yeah. And oh, there, there was there. My first one was a uh, Dalmatian, but he was okay, like cool. very very low spots. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yep. Okay, and then from there, how did you get into lychees? So, <laughs> so from there. Um, I wound up kind of losing interest in crested geckos and sold the colony when I was younger. Didn't have any pets for a good while. Okay. Wound up getting a corn snake. From the corn snake, wound up getting a ball python. From the ball python, I started working at CJ. Is this the ball python that you got? This is the ball python in question. I've had cool. them for six years now. Okay, very cool. Um, then while working at CJ, their reptile manager at the time, wound up visiting a breeder and picked up a adult lychee, he was about five years old when he got okay. him, that had been kept in a, it was like an 18 inch cube tank. Okay. And he was like a full grown yate with a severe spinal twist. Okay. I, mean, I can give you pictures to show later if you want to. Yeah, we can put, yeah, we can upload. Um, yeah. Like he, he had like a little bit of a kink kind of? Oh no, it was, it was really bad. Like his spine was severely S-shaped okay. in the middle. Like he had a, like a visible hunch to him and he was mean. Okay. Um, I suspect it had a lot to do with the fact that he was in pain a lot of the time. So it's basically scoliosis, but for lizards. Okay. Um, so I got him. I worked with him hand taming him. There was a time and a place where if you go within six feet of the tank, he was like barking through the glass trying to bite you. Okay. And actually, I think I actually have a video of that. Okay. Um, I actually do have a question about barking, so we'll, yep. we'll, get, we'll, we'll get back to that once you're yeah. Okay. Um, so I got him, he managed to hand tame him out, he was one of being an absolute sweetie pie, and then his health took a turn for the worse, fought real hard to try and save him, and in the end of having him euthanized because that was the only real option for him to go peacefully and not be in pain. 100%, I would have expected uh, them to euthanize him like right out of the egg if, if he came out that bad. Yeah, yeah, they usually do, but they yeah. didn't in his okay. case. Um, yeah. Again, he, like, he, I, I don't know what the rationale was, they just didn't. They just didn't, okay. Um, so... Got him untamed, he ended up being euthanized, and I uh, very quickly filled the hole in my heart with another one, okay. and then another one, and then next thing you know I have five of them and, and considering others. Okay, how long ago was this? Uh, about two years now. Okay. okay. So I wound up getting patches up here first. Okay. And then after patches I wound up getting... One of my babies down on the bottom shelf, and after that well, baby... We'll insert, like, I'll insert clips of yeah, this yeah. time of him tell Yeah, okay. So I got a little baby Pebble, who's a, um... Uh, it's a Northern Gecko HSX line, which is a Super X cross, which we can get into later. Yeah. Um, then I got a male Grand Tear that I'm hoping to pair with Patches once he gets a little bit bigger. Who's this guy up here. Um, and then the guy who produced the other one, the pebble, the one that I got, wound up selling me the pair that produced them. And from that pair, uh, the female wound up rejecting the male after I got them. So I swapped her for a different one and they have been getting along swimmingly. So they are paired up in there? They are paired up in there. They're living together. They're really, really cute. And, w and why would she reject, if they were already paired up, why would she reject them once they move? Is that a change of territory thing? Or? So I'm thinking... It's because they were housed together with no cool-down period okay. during the winters for the okay. better part, well, for several years at least. Um, so she never could really get too far away from them. When I, when I got the pair, 
the uh, male had had the tip of his tail bitten off. Wow. Which is fully regenerated now. If you don't know what you're looking for, you don't even notice that it's gone. Um, but uh, she'd bitten off the tip of his tail, and she just got progressively more and more violent the longer I had them together. So I wound up trading her to a regular of mine through work, and this new female and the male are getting along great. Awesome. Very, yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, lots of uh, lychee projects coming. Um, I don't think I'm going to get eggs this season, because the season's basically over at this point. It's very possible she's carrying some. But I'm yet to see her lay. I think I've seen her dig around a little bit, so okay. fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. But uh, I haven't seen anything yet. And how many clutches do you usually get a year? Uh, I've usually like one, two, four from what I've heard, but I've heard as many as ten clutches in a season. Wow, okay. It was uh, Muriel the Gecko on Instagram that her pair went up producing like ten pairs last season, so that's like 20 babies. But the average is around like three, four clutches. Yep. So compared to a crested gecko, that's almost nothing. Yep. That's okay. they're a lot less prolific than cresties, and they are much more difficult to uh, breed. Than and cresties. so that's where their price comes in. That as is well. absolutely where their price comes from. Okay, because yeah, they're they're a couple of hundred dollars more expensive than a crested gecko. Uh, so. <laughs> thousands more. Okay. We're looking right. And, and does does the price um, increase and and decrease depending on? Um, the size of the gecko is it pattern like so for crested geckos it's the the morphs is what decides the price so the thing right? with lychees they don't really have morph yet morphs yet there are a few morphs that have been like really really early morphs like the leaping lychees darth maul line i would consider to be a morph right. because it's like he took a couple different locales smashed them together and line bred that until they very very consistently were getting the exact same traits with every single baby textbook morph and this darth maul uh, line is like a redder it's, so it is um a really really dark green to almost black base with dark pink to like crimson red bars like the character Darth Maul. Very cool. Okay, very cool. Um, okay, so 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 it's not the morph that decides. It's the price. so part of it is the uh, size of the parents will help determine price. The locality of the parents, whether or not it's a mixed locality of the parents, because like pure lines are considered. When I say pure line, I mean it's just one locale. And they have line bred that locale in an ethical way, where okay. every single different new piece of blood is like the pure line, bloodline, but not um, like specifically from that locale, not not incest. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, last thing we need is uh, you taking guesses. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like a pure line is gonna be more expensive than like a uh, mixed locale mutt. Um, these two grand tears up here cost me the better part of two grand and up each. Wow. But they are not pure lines. Okay. They are both Yate and Mount Kogus crosses. Okay, actually let's 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 take a step by let's get into that. So there's different locales yep. in New Caledonia and yep. um, depending on where the lychee comes from, it's either larger size, small or like how does how does so what the dif differentiates it? Insular islands that go around the um, mainland of New Caledonia. Like everywhere around New Caledonia. Basically over in New Caledonia. So they're found all over in New Caledonia. All over. Beautiful. Um, the insular islands, there's not very much food available, so they are typically much smaller, but they generally have very, very um, pale bases with very, very bright bars okay. on their sides, whereas the mainland giants... Which is what you were referring to as Grand Terre. Grand Terre, which is the, the main island. Okay. Um, they are typically a lot bigger, right. like you're at least a foot or more, 
Right. Uh, in the ballpark of like 300 to 400 grams. And that puts them as considered the largest gecko species, correct? Yes. So they are the largest extant species of gecko. There is an extinct species. Extant I mean, meaning still alive? Yes. Extant meaning still alive. Not extinct. Not extinct. Okay. Um, yeah. So the extinct species that is considered to be bigger, there's only one known specimen that was preserved. It's not actually entirely sure if it's a legitimate specimen, but I mean... They listed as such. It's called the Delcourt's Giant Gecko. It was the better part of like two feet long. Wow. Um, it was collected at some point in the, it was late 1700s, early 1800s, and it wound up in the basement of the museum where it was rediscovered like a century later and recorded in the books. But they haven't found any in the wild they since. They have never found any in the wild since. Okay. So, Very I mean, cool. it could be hiding somewhere in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, you but never they know. know for sure. yeah. They don't know for sure. Hopefully. That's very cool. cool. Okay, okay. So, but so extant, they are the largest. Um, they are gecko. the largest known species of gecko. And then the ones from Grand Terre would be the largest of the, of large. the largest. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So the Grand Terre are known to be a little bit more feisty than some of the insular okay. island ones. I found from my personal experience that it doesn't matter. The the sorry the 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 Grand Terre are found to be more feisty than the the insular island okay. locales, but right. I've found it's really just an individual base. I often treat them sort of like a large anxious dog. You need to respect okay. their boundaries and you right. can earn their trust, but if you're just going in there trying to grab them, you're probably going to get bit. Um, I've been nabbed more times, well, almost nabbed more times by like a tiny Nuana, which is the smallest locale. Nuana is the smallest locale? Yeah. Okay. So Nuana and Nuami are the two most common localities of insular island lychee. It's two sides of an atoll off the south side of Isle of Pines, which is at okay. the south end of Grand Terre. Which is where crested geckos are found. Okay. Yep. Uh, I think it's like the south side of Grand Terre and Isle of Pines where you find those crusties, yeah. if I remember right. Um, but uh, the, the Nuana is the smallest one. The one I had was like maybe nine inches tip of the nose tip of the tail okay so it's small so very lychee. small yeah like patches of here is like nine inches tip of the nose to vent not counting her tail at all okay um and she's gonna get bigger fingers crossed fingers crossed okay. uh they're considered like a uh, mature and ready to breed in about three years but from what i've read they're not really done growing i mean it's slower after three years but they're not really done growing until like five to seven years so interesting. I've heard this with a lot of reptiles. Like even once they've hit their sexual maturity, they slowly keep growing, just at a yep. like a lot slower pace. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying so so patches is a grand terre mixed with like one of the insular islands. Yep. So she is a uh, not insular island. She's two different grand terre localities mixed together. Okay. So she is Yate, which is the heaviest locale of lychee. They aren't the longest, but they are the beefiest. Okay. And um, Mount Kogus Trogerline. There's a couple, there's two different lines of Mount Kogus. So there's the Troger line, which tends to be kind of, from what I've seen, they tend to be a little, a little bit darker with some pinstriping on their sides. And then there's the Friedel line, which is kind of similar. The ones that I've seen around tend to be a little bit less patterned. And I've seen that they can have um, like pinkish or reddish stripes on their sides. Okay, cool. Proper line breeding. It's usually kind of like a whitish with kind of pink spots with the closer to wild lines that I've seen, but, uh, the wild lines are the ones that have more of the pink spots on them. So the wild lines are the like ones that are closest to the original wild caught specimens, which are still alive. Like the original collected wild caught oh, specimens yeah? are still alive. Do you know who cases. they were collected by and when? Uh, I don't know who they were collected by, but I believe it was the early nineties where a lot of them got pulled out of New Caledonia. So before, before the crested geckos even, I don't know when crested geckos were first collected. I think it was 1996. 
Okay. I mean, it could have been all about the same time. Okay. Like, there was a lot of expeditions being done in New Caledonia all around the same date, but... Very cool. Very cool. I haven't looked into it too much. Um, cool. But I can tell you that some of the original um, wild-caught specimens, actually, if you grab the life of giant geckos there, or it's the longer life of giant geckos. So this one right here? One. Other one. This one. Yep. Um, so that pair on the front there, I believe, are a Mount Cogus pair that was originally field collected. Okay. Um, there's a breeder that I follow. I think it's Lychee Garden on Instagram, but don't quote me on that. I'd have to look around. That actually wound up getting this exact pair. Oh, no way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, the name of the guy on the book... Um... No, this is not the one. There's another... Maybe this is him. Philip Tremper? What, what? You think Philip Philip Tremper? Maybe. So I'm pretty sure he has the... I could be mixing up the, the people I'm thinking of, but... I don't know, but... That's a very cool book. So you can't really find that edition of it anymore because it's out of print, has been for a while. But there is currently the second edition of this book which is a little bit more updated that has been uh, made available. You can get it through Northern Gecko in Canada. It's, I think it's about Oh yeah, I've gone through their, book, their books. They have some cool stuff, actually. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. You can't find a lot of the information out there in that book online. Yeah, we might actually have to pull out another one or two of these books because there's okay. some, some cool ones in there. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Sweet. Okay, so... Um, so what about setup? So we're like, what's the average temperature you keep them at? How do you like heat the terrarium if you, what, what, so, okay. So the average temperature in New Caledonia is like 75, 77. What are you uh, keeping your geckos all the way down to like mid sixties during the winter. And it doesn't really usually stay that low, like mid sixties to like 70. Okay, well, um, to 80 and then it goes up to like 84 ish during yeah. the summer. Correct. But it's like average keeping temperature, I'd say is between like 75 and like Mid 70s, low 80s. Okay. Is comfortable for them. So I'm in a cold basement. So I like to, like during the summer, it's it's plenty warm in here. I'm not worried about them. But during the winter, I will often have like the spots where they typically hide away at night, so not at night, during the day, and have a heat pad on the glass that sits at like 85 ish, give okay. or take. Yeah. And that's, they seem to be pretty pleased with that during the winter. But they have spots to escape to. They have other spots yeah, to go. Yeah, I always yeah. have different tubes slipped around for them to hide behind. Yeah, because if I put a if I put a heat pad at eighty five next to my crested geckos, I cook one of them. They they, they cannot handle that that high of heat. I don't think these so. guys absolutely can. Okay, I mean they're living proof that they can. Very cool. And then like hardscape wise, I'm seeing you're using a lot of cork, a lot of um, um mess plants. Uh, why is that? So the cork is an aesthetic choice. I like it. I like the trees I can build with it. Um, yeah. you can use really any hardwood. I don't see why not. Okay. Um, but as far as plants, I am very, very picky about the plants I use, not because I'm worried about the plants being dangerous, but because these are lizards the better part of a pound with claws the size of kitten claws that are just as sharp. So when they're climbing around at night, raising a ruckus, like bouncing around on everything, and... they will snap leaves off just by their sheer weight, okay. or they will shred them yeah. just by climbing around on them. Yeah. So a lot of the plants that I have in here haven't made it long term. I can yeah, I can see that one right there is already uh, yeah that uh, that's that taken fern, a beating. That bird's yeah. nest fern is not happy with me. Yeah. I'm gonna have to replace it soon. I mean, I have a replacement sitting here for it. Okay. Um, cool. My favorite plant for them has got to be Ficus elastica burgundy. I really like the dark tones of it. And is that the one you have up there? That's the one up there. Very cool. That's this one. Cool. That that yeah. <laughs> um, 
It is also known as the rubber plant. It is really, really solid. The leaves are generally pretty difficult to break. Like if it's in a high traffic area and they're constantly climbing on it, they will break the leaf, it will come off. Okay. But if it's in an area kind of like tucked back in here, where they're climbing over it or below it and not really touching it, the plant grows in, no issue. Very cool. Yeah. And then maybe as well like uh, Zanzibaria, the snake plants, probably can tolerate their rate? It can tolerate their damage fairly well. I don't want to have had it in my tanks. So it doesn't really seem to thrive and grow, but it survives. It kind of, yeah, it just stays as, I, I find it the same. It takes, it grows very slowly, I yeah. think is what it is. Like I have one back there that has not grown at all since I put it in. Yeah. The better part of a year ago. Okay. And, and is bioactive... Um, I see all of yours are bioactive. Is bioactive completely necessary or no, are they can... You can keep these guys bare bottom with just bits of, I mean, we're gonna, I'm gonna say bits of cork because that's the easiest and most readily available. Right. You don't need to use cork again. You can use varying types of wood. What's nice about cork is you got those pre-ready rounds they like to hide in. They have the flats they can easily hide behind. So it's having a whole bunch of that stacked up. They'll get in there, they'll get good and comfy. They don't need the substrate. Um, having a lay box if you're trying to breathe is all you really need. Okay. I the, These guys are my pets first, like right. the pair that I'm working with trying to breed. Right. They breed, that's awesome. If they don't breed, they're still my pets. And 100%. I want my pets to be comfortable and happy first and foremost. No, that's, that's... So I spoil them rotten with these big cages. These are not, these are way above what's considered the minimum for these guys. Right, like patches in is in what? A 36, 18, 36, the largest yeah. exoterra you can buy. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. So for these guys, for an adult, the minimum is considered to be an 18-18-24 exoterra, the small tall. Yeah. And that, you can keep them in that happy and healthy their whole lives as an individual, but I prefer to spoil my animals. And I'll have to include some clips of your all your tanks because they're beautiful builds. Please, by means. So you do you so I see you use um, nails and you screw pieces of uh, cork yep. bark as branches. What yep. is 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 that to um, keep so them up or? It's generally considered safer to use um, zip ties. So you drill holes with the zip ties through, hold it in place like that. Um, I am very careful about how I do the screwing like that. Um, the big main tubes that they're attached to are filled with expanding foam, like pond safes expanding foam. So they can't even get so in there. So they're they can't get into the like the, the big main tubes, um, but the branches that are screwed in place, the screws are completely seated in. So nothing gets ripped out. They're never actually really exposed to the dangerous end of the screw at all. Very cool. And I generally try and cover them in silicone, but not all of them. Very cool. For such a large gecko, once they're younger, I've seen you keep them in like, uh, I don't know, phanariums, cricket yep. keepers, like smaller enclosures. Why is that? Is that because they they struggle to find food, or are they just stress so out easily? No one's a hundred percent certain exactly. To, to the beginning of that thought, um, in the wild for all the expeditions through New Caledonia, to my knowledge, they've only ever found three baby leeches. Wow. Two of which were dead. Okay. The third one was on its way out. Wow. Um, Do they know why? Granted, those just... were they were like early dusk when they were looking around and finding those ones, or right. like uh, early dawn, so the light was starting to come out. They didn't really look around too much at night. But the suspicion is that these are animals that when they're juveniles, they spend almost all their time undercover because, for one, their parents will eat them. Yeah. When they're that big, anything that thinks they'll try and eat, eat them, will try. eat them that size. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so they seem to do better from a, just a raising them aspect in a much smaller container okay so for like the 
Like, I raised them out when they're really, really young in, like, a, like, one-gallon critter keeper. Right. Um, once they get up to about, I don't know, like, that big or so, I move them up into, like, an 8, 8, 12 little cube. Cool. And I keep them in there for, like, eight months to a year until they really, really pack on the size. They look almost too big for the enclosure. Once they're at that point, I move them up into a 12, 12, 18. And again, let them establish until they look almost too big to be in there. Then from there, I move them up into their adult-sized tank, and I have found through experimentation that they seem to get a lot bigger when you do it that when way. Because they're able to eat more, they're less stressed, they can better use all the nutrients they're given. That's very interesting. The person I bought my carpet python off of, the breeder, um, told me to do the same thing with my carpet python, because apparently when you go too large, they stop eating. And I yep. did upgrade him, and he stopped eating, I had to re-downgrade him, and now he's eating fine again. So that's very interesting that um, the leeches do the same thing. Yep. Okay. And then, like on that on that same note, um, handling wise, do you start handling them when they're in that one gallon critter keeper at a young age? Assuming or it's eating well and it doesn't wind up throwing it off feed, doing short handling sessions when they're that small can be okay. Um, I've found that when you're handling them fairly often when they're young to get them used to the fact that you're not a threat, they tend to be less aggressive as adults. But it's definitely not a surefire thing at all. They can be just as hostile the second I me mean, they can go from being an absolute sweetie pie to being a no nightmare reason. the second they hit puberty and the switch flips in their head oh yeah like, so even you, even if you've gone through all the not i don't want to say training but all the calming the conditioning, down, the conditioning calming down, the, down yeah. they can just a uh, switch flips and all of a sudden like yep nope this is my territory i don't want you in it okay so that's where they get that that reputation of being such an aggressive and, yep and, but again i found that if you treat them like a large aggressive dog yeah. You respect their boundaries and you slowly work with them to begin to trust you. I found that I've been able to get them to at least not immediately try and bite me. Hundred percent. Yeah, because I've seen I've seen I've seen you handle all of your leeches and not a single one of them and I've like I've had patches and and, and a few of them at my house as well and, and they they never even tried to bite me. So I mean, she's kind of an anomaly. She's very, very, very docile and gentle. This little guy up here is actually the first leechy to have landed a bite on me. Um, how bad was the bite? Honestly, it wasn't bad. No, he got okay. me. It was just like a, okay. barely even touched me. But okay. uh, and I assumed that he didn't get me. It was just a near thing until I took my hand out of the tank with his food bowl and there was blood coming okay. down my arm. So their like, teeth are sharp then. Very sharp. Okay. So he just like just nicked the surface and it just it just bled a lot. Okay. So you need to do a lot of so so not a beginner reptile then. You need to do a lot of working with them to be able to. Oh, Miss King's going on. I hope the camera's catching that. that. <laughs> Actually, that, that brings up, so I, I've heard from a lot of different people that leeches don't like to be wet. Is this true? Uh, it's yes and no. It's not that they don't like to be wet, it's that they can't stay wet. Um, Why can't they stay and wet? And it's not that they, like the surface of their skin can't stay wet. The environment they're in, the surfaces cannot stay moist. If it stays moist for too long, they can lead to fatal skin infections. After talking with, um, I spoke with uh, Mark from Northern Gecko about it, and typically he says it presents as the... Uh, toe pads starting to turn kind of pink is an indication of the beginning of the onset of the infection. Um, but if ignored, it is almost 100% fatal. Okay. Which okay. is why you don't mess around with it. So having like short missing sessions, or even if you have long missing sessions, so long as everything dries out between. So, so they do need a dry period. They need the dry out period. So what's the, what do you usually keep the humidity at? And then like, how long does it drop for? And then like, um, I'm a little bit less concerned with how quickly it drops and more that it, uh, 
stays consistently about like 60% humidity, fairly similar to Crested Gecko. Throughout the entire day? Throughout the entire day, but it can have periods where it goes up to like 85 and then over like an hour it just, just drops, drops back down. down. Okay, so so pretty much exactly like a Crested yep. Gecko. Awesome. And then, um, so yeah, so that covers humidity, temperature on their setup. Yep. How about food? Um, what do you what do you mostly feed? So I'm you basically just feeding. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you know. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm basically just feeding Rapashi. Sure. I am a huge Rapashi Rapashi stan. Um, oh, I, I primarily use a mixture of Pineapple Express and grubs and fruit. Um, I still have that in a little deli cup mixed together with Nomad's mix written on the outside. We call it Bandit brand now. Bandit brand. Yeah, oh, right. That's Jen's Jen. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, so it's two parts pineapple express to one part grubs and fruit. Um, they found the like the sweetness of the pineapple express they really really like, but the additional excess protein in the grubs and fruit can really help with their growth. Okay. And that's actually Jen is wind up using that. Um, Mix. That mix for all of her Nukel grow-outs, not just her leaves, just everything, because she's found that that has worked really, really well for getting that excess protein to really pack on size as they're yeah, growing. I actually also use that exact same mix. It's it's the the best two. I use mulberry occasionally, but yep. those are the those are my favorite two as well. Um, and then how often do you do? How is it a every other day? Every other day. Crusty. Okay. Um, so two of mine here, Bandit and the female from this pair, Maggie. They will take bugs for me. The rest of them have staunchly refused. They've had no interest. Yeah. Uh, but they'll take silkworms almost every day, given the opportunity. And both of them now have taken frozen thaw mice pinkies. Okay, I was yeah, I was gonna. So I have I I saw this the other day. Yeah, you, I think you have the the footage. I do, and I will definitely insert it in here. But who was it that took the? the... That was that was Maggie. She's okay. uh, like surprisingly shy. It's the female in there, but she uh, she eats well. Very food aggressive for anything I hang her on tongs. Okay. And, like, and and you feed them, when you feed them insects, is it live insects or are you feeding the like- So the... I do the live silkworms for them. Okay. I haven't tried dead insects yet, not to say it won't work. I just haven't tried it. Um, silkworms. <laughs> but uh, the silkworms I've really gone for and the um, frozen thaw mice pinkies, I seem to be really enthusiastic about. Okay. Especially for a female that may be carrying eggs, the extra yeah. calcium in the silkworms, the extra calcium in the mouse pinky are probably really good for her. Do you dust the pinky and the silkworms, or do you just feed them as is? Uh, the pinky, I haven't dusted because it's just impossible. To it's like <laughs> once a month. Okay, yeah. I don't feed them very often, even if it's like once a month. It's probably closer to like every two. Okay, It's cool. just as like a treat here and there. And then the silks, I probably should, but I'm not really giving them often enough to worry about it, okay. especially considering that Rapashi is already full of vitamins and minerals when it's pre-dosed. Yeah. Um, yeah, in a perfect world, I probably should be. Awesome. And then, and then another treat that I've seen you give them at some point is bananas. Is there anything yep, else? So that... bananas I've done, I've done raw honey full of bee pollen. Okay. So bee pollen, I've read can be really, really decent for I them. I just picked up a little jar of bee pollen. For just, just like yeah. a, I'll do like a little bit of a spoonful, let them lick some of it and then okay. that's it. And then as far as the banana, I let them take a couple bites and then call it quits. Awesome. And, and is that because the banana much. has a lot of sugar? Yeah. Or... Don't okay. want to get fat. Yeah. hundred percent. And okay. So when they if they do get fat um are they one of those lizards that it's really hard to get them to lose the weight and they just I mean, pack that's, on they that's stay. every lizard it's just yeah. a huge pain to get weight off reptiles so i just okay. don't want to risk it 100 percent. okay yeah. awesome there's, there's no way i'm paying for lipo for these guys for oh <laughs> <laughs> i mean no no I, i'm one way too poor for that okay so we discussed morphs already yep and we discussed the darth maul 
um, is that what it's called? Yeah, the Dark Morph. morph. Okay. Yep. Um, but there is a morph that I saw online that I didn't ask you about that I find really cool. Uh, is it true that they have the Azanthic lychee or is it um, melanistic lychee? So melanistic lychees, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, just lychees high in melanin. Um, heat is actually a melanistic lychee. Okay. Um, so she is a Yate Mount Cogus Cross. Okay. He is a Yate Dark Morph Mount Cogus Cross. Okay. So I'd be very interested to see what kind of babies they produce. Yeah, 100%. Very curious to see if they uh, get any dark morph babies. Um, it is exactly what this sounds like. They just come out like either like a really really dark green or like a really dark brown as babies. Um, Almost as like they, black, right? As they mature, they actually end up going through like what's known as a gray phase, which is exactly what he's going through yeah. right now. He yeah. looks kind of gray. Um, but as they start to reach adulthood, they go back. They, they their color comes back with a fury. They get really really dark. Cool. And this is what I'm hoping for. And is anybody working with this? Like, um, oh yeah, there's all kinds of people that are working with it. Uh, um, pretty sure Lychee Garden again is doing it. Uh, Ridiculous Racks. Um, oh, what's another one there? It's on the tip of my tongue. That's the yeah. Rack City, I think they're called. That's a good name. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, awesome. Um, okay, we talked. We 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 brought this up at the beginning, but we we. I wanted to touch on it more. What about barking and like chirping? I've heard they vocalize. They are one of the more vocal gecko species out there. Okay. They bark, they chirp, they whistle, they squeak, they squawk, they make almost like a kind of like gurgling, chittering bark sound. It's horrifying to wake up to. You feel like there's a goblin in the room. When I had patches over, I would hear her do these little like bark sounds. Yeah. yeah it's. I found that mostly it's kind of just like a chuffing sound, sort of like a dog or like a whistle. Okay, and why do they, like, what's the purpose of... of... Um, they can be, like, calling to others, just vocalizing distress or that they're annoyed. So it's not really, like, a get-out-of-here warning? Oh, it can be. It can be. It absolutely can be. Okay. Like, you, you can know from the sound, but also their body language, when they want you gone. Okay. Like, they will push themselves up, they will puff their neck out as big as it gets, huh. so their mouth open, they'll start doing that uh, kind of like chittering, gurgling bark at you. Very cool. You'll know. You'll know, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, what about when like, like during breeding, like crested geckos will make this like, I don't know how to describe it, it kind of sounds like you're unzipping a bag sound while they're locking up. Do you know if uh, leeches do the same thing? I wouldn't be surprised if they made noise, but I've never sat down and observed it. Okay. Um, I have a night vision camera that keeps an eye on my uh, pair at night, so I can go and review footage, right. make sure they're still getting along, and they have been. Um, but it does not pick up the audio from inside the tank too well, so I don't really hear anything. Okay, cool. I can tell you sitting on the couch at like 2 a.m., they tend to be pretty vocal with you each hear, other, but yeah. it's not necessarily them. It could be them just calling to each other, being friendly. It could be uh, the male or the female telling the other one to back off because they're annoyed. They're not in the mood to play. Pick, picking on each other. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's that's a good segue into to actually into breeding. Um, so okay, so we don't know if they vocalize, but do you? Um, I suspect they probably do, but it's not like a one singular dedicated noise. They have a pretty wide vocal range. Okay. I mean, if they're upset, they're probably just gonna squawk at the other. Yeah, that like humans. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, when you when you're coming to when you're you, when you do want to breed them, how do you? start the initial introduction do you have to so first and foremost you gotta get two of them which is 
That's usually how it works. Huge expense. <laughs> yeah. So getting a, a really big either an investment in time or an investment. I don't know. You can do it in 1824. Most of the you people can do it in 18, yeah. Oh, okay. Small. Very cool. Um, you can either invest your time or you can invest your money. I mean, you're going to be investing money either way, but you can either invest a lot of your money or you can invest a lot of your time. Um, if you're getting a sexed pair of mature geckos, you're not investing You're your looking time. at a minimum like 1500 each. Wow. Each. Um, each. For. Wow. Getting an unsexed baby, you can get them as cheap as like I've seen like four hundred bucks at the yeah. lowest. Yeah, you're getting two of them, and then it's three years until you can breed them, assuming it's a male female. Yeah, which isn't guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. You're getting unsexed. Yeah. So, so they they get to sexual maturity around three three Thereabouts. years. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it depends on who you ask. Some people will say that the grand tears is closer to five years, but from the reading I've done, it's generally about three years. They're good to go. Okay. I mean, and with then, the females once they lay their first duds. Okay, do you wait for, and is this a common thing that they'll lay duds? So the females will lay duds once they've hit sexual maturity. Okay. They'll start producing their duds. Um, How possible is it that any of these duds are viable without so they them? absolutely produce parthenogenic babies. Yeah. Uh, the survival rate is fairly low of the okay. babies, and there has never been a second generation parthenogenic baby. And do the, par do the babies that come out usually come out female? Uh, their sex is incubator tape based. Their sex is incubator based. Yep. So they so are temperature, temperature dependent. Okay, okay. Temperature dependent for their sex. So what is it like? The warmer, the more likely it's a male. Yeah, I think it's. Oh, I was reading this the other day. So you incubated a slightly higher temperature for. It's the first three or four weeks, and then you reduce down to like seventy-eight. As like seventy-eight is considered like just the average incubation temperature, but if you do it cooler or hotter at the beginning i believe that's what determines, that's what determines the sex it. and then the rest of the incubation is just under like a standard temperature okay so 78 is the average temperature so you yeah. don't actually need an incubator or anything you can if you've got technically, a room warm enough room yeah, yeah you, you can, can technically incubate okay right, i live in the basement where the roommates upstairs have control of the thermostat for the whole house so right. i bought a incubator bought because i'm not willing to mess around with that yeah it's a time where i woke up here at like 3 a.m because the entire apartment was like 52 fahrenheit okay Hell, it was awful. They were, they were they okay? I was cold. They were probably <laughs> miserable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, since then, thermostat, thermostat for them, and I have heat emitters on as many tanks as I can. Okay. Heat emitters? Yep. What is that? It's a low power, it's like a, I'm going to call it a bulb because I can't think of a better word, but it's sort of like a bulb that you put into a light socket that's sort of like a stove element. It just okay. outputs heat, but no light. And you have this turned on all the time? Yep. Okay. So I have really, really low watt ones that just bring up the ambient temperature ever so slightly. Very cool. Yeah. And then you do, so so that's in that's in addition to the heat pads on the side of the tank. Yep. Okay. Uh, during the winter, I have the heat pads on. During the summer, I have the heat pads off. Okay. Okay. And then once you do eventually get eggs, do you plan on incubating them at 78? Or? I'm just going to incubate them at 78. I'm yeah, not going to mess around trying to find okay. male or female because I, I don't really care. Yeah. And then like whatever it comes out. So it could be whatever round about that. Yep. So these guys are going to be... Um, uh, I think the term for them is a super X cross. Um, so the one male is Northern Gecko HSX three breeding group, which is the third generation line of a super X line. Super X line being a uh, proven out morph where not, not not quite a morph. Um, each of the four grandparents of each gecko in the pairing. So each each parent. For the baby, all four <laughs> grandparents okay. are a unique locality. So the grandparents are one locality, 
the parents are each Ancient. two mixed localities. Right. The baby has four localities in it. So right. it's a super X. Um, the How long did it take you to learn all these locales and morphs and... Uh, a while. I'm a nerd. I have no life. Yeah. <laughs> I just read because it's neat. Um, they're, they're fascinating. You're talking about an animal where they... Like the original it's wild good. specimens, most of them are still alive and kicking. Yeah. These are animals that... They average about 30 years, but I've read wow. of like specimens ballpark to be about 60 years old. Wow, 60 old. years old. I think the wow. oldest one I've read about was like 57. In captivity? Yep. Granted, that's not confirmed. Okay. That's just what I was reading off of a forum, right. but old. And then if those were taken out of the wild, God knows how long they were, how old they were when yep. they were picked up. Uh, from what I've read, the old ones typically make it to be about a decade or a decade, decade and a half Once they're before picked. they kick it. Okay. Um, but they live a lot longer in captivity in ideal That's conditions. Very, very cool. And is there a book you can, like, are we going back to this library? Is there a book you recommend? Yeah, The Life do? of Giant Geckos is the it's best the same book one? I've found. Um, okay. There's like the original uh, book on Rex by, uh, I think it's just called like Rachidactylus, okay. which is written by the same people. I think it's uh, Alan Rapashi and Alan Rapashi and, and that is the one Frank I think Fast. I, yeah. I know that I, I know someone who has a copy of them, but uh, you can't really get that one anymore. It's like 900 bucks on eBay now. Um, Fun. But that covers all of the rack species, including Cressies, because once upon a time they're considered to be a rack species. Right. They're now the, they switched uh, over to the yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the, that book there, The Life of Giant Gecko, specializes primarily on lychees. It has a lot of information on it that you could technically find online through the forums, but it's going to be more... Con I mean, it's all, it's all, it's all in one spot. Yeah. You don't have to dig for it for months at a time. 100%. And just like a side note, I see the Mushroom Hunter's Field Guide, and we got to go out next next uh, next spring and, and Mushroom Hunt. I, uh, uh, that's a lot of fun. Alexa, no one asked you. <laughs> she maybe wants to go mushroom hunting too. <laughs> You never know. Um, I, I happened across that at a thrift store, and I thought it was yeah, neat. That, that's really cool. I yeah. I don't know anything about mushrooms, but it, the, the, do I, I. the idea is, is very interesting. I thought it fit on the shelf pretty well. It definitely does. Definitely does. Um, okay. Um, yes. yes. So you either invest yes. your a little bit of your money in time, or you invest a lot of your money and not as much time to get a sex adult pair. Um, once you have that together, you take the female inside of her tank. You take the male, you have them like a critter keeper or something, and you put the critter keeper in the tank overnight. So they can see each other, get close to each other, but they can't kill each other. And you either stay in the room and pay attention to how they're doing, which is the more old school method, and see you know, if they're hanging out really close together. Or you do what I do when you put a night vision camera on it with motion tracking, and you just check the footage in the morning and see what they did. If they're staying really close together and hanging out, it's a good sign. They're really gonna get along. So, yeah. so in Crested Geckos, you can get like a male and like three, four females and like bear him up to all. You can't do this. In you game. cannot. They are very preferential about their mates. They're surprisingly intelligent. So once they pair, they're bonded for the season or for life? Uh, depends who you ask. Okay. Um, generally, like I've read some people say that they bond for life. Others, they bond for a long time. I've read that you can have like a male and female that have remained bonded for like 10 years and all of a sudden just switch flips. They're trying to kill each other. Um, right, like the the ones you said you got, like uh, yeah. So they've been together like I think it was like six years or so, and then change of territory, change, change of attitude. territory. I made the mistake of separating them to quarantine them, which is probably the nail in the coffee, but coffin. But it seemed like the female was getting pretty done with him. Okay, okay, very cool. Okay, so so you gotta you gotta slowly introduce them then. Yep. So you have like the male little critter keeper, the female on the outside. You watch like your footage. Um, 
the and you do this several nights in a row? I do it several nights in a row. Okay. Um, so the male will be on the inside of the cage, the female outside of the critter keeper, and you pay attention to what they're doing. If they're all both sleeping really, really close together, it's a good sign they're interested in each other. Cool. If he's staying as far away from her in the corner as he can, and she is staying as far away from him as they can, yeah. don't even bother. Okay. They're not interested. Now, do you put the male in the critter keeper or the female? The male. Um, you want you, So you want them to be in the female's territory when they're yes. breeding? Okay. Um, females are typically the aggressors, but from what I've read, it's best to introduce the male into the female's territory and let them get used to each other, but it's very, very important to have a male that is equal to or larger than the female in size. Equal to or larger? Yeah, that way the female will have a much harder time overpowering him because they're typically the aggressor when they are figuring out the dominance in their pair. And have you ever considered doing it in a mutually, like just a tank that's new to both of them? Or I've would that not make I haven't. Okay. You don't think it'll make much of a difference? It probably would, because okay. they're, you know, very scent dependent. But um They're scent dependent. They have a very, very good sense of smell like most other reptiles. Their okay. eyesight's pretty good at night. But do they also scent and leave scents to yep. like on a marked so territory? You'll see them uh climbing around on the glass with their butt lips exposed. Okay. They seem to it's almost like they fold open the lips of their cloaca. It, it looks like human lips. Human it's lips. gross. Um, okay. But they'll kind of rub it on a surface and... And like mark that as my territory. Scent mark that. So they'll scent mark the whole area. Very interesting. Like that. Um, so in my experience, I've done the male into the female's territory. I've read you can do it reversed. Reverse, I yeah. just did it that way because that seemed to work best for me. Um sure. It's because the female was really, really anxious at the time and I wanted to get her settled in because she was newer. No, right. I, 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 uh, I've heard the same thing with grass scale. People do male and female enclosure, female and male enclosure. People pair outside. So I don't know if it makes that much of a difference. But It probably does, depending on the gecko. Okay. Um, so in my pair, this is how, that's how I did it. I did the male into the female's territory. Um, and like the first night on the camera, like he just kind of sat right in the middle of his critter keeper sulking, but... Like, she came over, they checked each other, each other out through the glass, she moved on with her patrol, and then she'd come back and just sit beside him for him. a little bit, and they'd stare at each other through the glass, their noses almost touching, and she'd move on, and she just kept coming back and, like, hanging out from, with him for, like, 20 minutes, and then... And how long, on. like you said, you do this several nights? So I did that through. for about three nights, and it looked really good every single night. They seemed to show the same amount of interest every single time, and then I did a supervised introduction where I stayed up until, like, 4 a.m. just watching them, hanging out. What about introducing them during the day when they're like half asleep anyway? Um, I wouldn't because if one of them gets really angry and awake and the other one's asleep, they don't stand a chance. Okay. Um, okay so they have to be like, okay, yeah. When it's nighttime and they're both wide awake and they can defend or accept each other, no issues. That's how I did it. And they're getting along great. I've observed them um, showing behavior of locking. It seems okay. like they... The male is at least trying. I don't like the camera's not clear enough to know for sure if he actually and now succeeded do they, in breeding her. Do they spend like time together now that they're in the same enclosure? Do they oh, sleep yeah, next to each other? Yeah, they, they, they uh, actually pull them out. Yeah, they sleep with their noses touching. They're really cute. Oh, that actually is adorable. Yeah, it's really really cute. So the big one, the one with the wide head right here, is Ricardo, and the one on this side is Maggie. If you look on the side of Maggie's head, there's some spots there that kind of look kind of like whitish, like white tinged stripes. The um, 
Like th those are like breeding bruises where he's gripped the side of her head while he's trying to lock up with her. But they, they sleep like this every night with their noses touching or sleeping with their heads side by side. They're absolute little sweetie pies. Uh, Ricardo here is a very, very gentle boy. Maggie is... She can be mean. She doesn't like me too much, but Ricardo's... Ricardo's just a big meatball. He's a sweetie pie. And uh, I'd previously mentioned that his tail is regenerated. You can see the split line right about there where... Um, a little to the left. Yeah. See the split line right about there where his tail had been bitten off, but it's grown back with some of the pattern and the color's the exact same. You didn't like that too much, buddy, huh? Very cool. Yeah. They're cuties. Very cool. All right. There you are. There you are. Uh, Mr. Patches joins, or Mrs. Ms. Patches. Patches. Miss Patches. She's a married yep. Okay, Miss Patches joins the, uh, the interview. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Good girl. What happened? Her claw just went inside of my hand. So their claws are sharp. Oh, they're sharp. Yeah, they're like I compare them to kitten claws because it's a very apt description. They're about the same size and they're just as sharp. What? Yep. Yep, they're sharp. Oh yeah, I see that. Wow. Oh. So their teeth are sharp and their claws are sharp. Yeah. And you said breeding bruises on Maggie, so yep. they must be. They're kind uh, of mean. Let's see if she talks at all. Oh, I heard a huff. You heard a huff? I heard a huff. <laughs> Hope the camera heard a huff. She's generally pretty quiet. So yeah, so you said breeding bruises on Maggie. Yep. Is that, um, how bad does it get? And like when, I, so I've seen uh, pictures of like leeches, it like can be cuts, cuts and bloods with them. Yeah. Um, it can be super, super nasty in an ideal situation, which that is. They uh, just get some bruises on the side of their head, which present as like the scales there looking kind of milky. Okay. And okay. once they're done, they just, it heals up. They're fine. Okay. She produces eggs. It's... Everything's hunky-dory. In a worst-case scenario, uh, you get gashes and cuts, you get chunks taken out, you get limbs ripped off, you get tails bitten off. And now uh, this happens in the introduction period or in the actual, like, locking up? Uh, uh, yes. Yes to both. <laughs> yes to both. <laughs> okay. Um, depends on how diligent you're being. Sure. So I've heard about a female lychee that, on two occasions now, actually, had her bottom jaw ripped off by a male Wow. Like, hanging on by a couple tendons. Wow. The brooder got her jaw basically wired shut by a vet, and the jaw reattached in both instances. These guys are remarkable healers. Yeah, so they are like... kept in ideal conditions. They tend to heal up really, really well. That's really cool. Yeah. So resilient little animals. They really I mean, are. most reptiles are, but these guys seem like they're kind of bulletproof. Generally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, why are they not considered, like, beginner pet reptiles? Then? Um, so... If you ask me, they absolutely are, so long as you've been coached really well. Okay. Um, so, like, my coworker Avery, for example, I talked her into getting her first reptile, which was a juvenile lychee, a child of Ricardo's, actually. Was that one of her, was that her first reptile? That was her first okay. reptile right. of her own. Okay. Um, like, she'd helped her sister raise her ball python. Okay. But, there's, like, Toast was the first reptile that she got herself and raised herself. Okay. Um, they're... Basic care and like conditions are very similar than a, to a crested gecko, and so long as you are prepared to deal with their behavior, I'd say they're totally manageable. Okay. They're real cute little guys. And like, if you're prepared and ready to deal with the attitude you can get from them, you come into it with the right mentality for retaining them out, they can be excellent. It's like, when I first got her, I very diligently, and Emily can attest to this, 
Um, every single feeding session, I would find her in the tank, and I would hold the bowl for her and let her lick it clean. I remember this, actually, yeah. And that consistent reinforcement during her formative years has built a bond. She trusts me. So you could sit on the couch, watch TV, and she'd just sit in your lap? Like, no oh, way. she wouldn't sit in my lap. She'd no. crawl around like any gecko does. Okay, yeah. And considering she can do walls, no issue, I generally don't. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I, I mean, I've had her like sitting on my shoulder in the kitchen while I've been like doing prep work for cooking. Okay. And she's just, you know, gone from one shoulder to another, around on my back, right. around on my chest, and it's whatever. But uh, she, I mean, now that she's gotten a little bit more mature and I don't handle her as much, and I haven't been doing as much of the hand feeding, she's gotten a little bit more annoyed with me when I invade Plus her the territory. Plus the phase you talked about. Yep. I mean, it's, yes, but uh, it's, I think it's more that I just don't, um, I don't handle her as much as I had, because I've just been really, really busy with work. I don't do the hand feeding nearly as often or as long as I used to. So the bond has definitely degraded a little bit, but it is still there. She knows who I am. She trusts me. She doesn't get as nervous with me as she does with others. You think they recognize individuals oh, that she, she can recognize? she absolutely knows who I am. Awesome. She knows who I am. She recognizes Emily. She doesn't necessarily trust Emily as well as she trusts me. Sorry, Em. <laughs> um, but, like, she recognizes Em as a caregiver because there's been several instances where Em has been the one who's wound up feeding her because I've been away for some reason. Right. Um, so she's really comfortable with me. She's fairly comfortable with Emily. Other people have had over, like, I'll take her out, I'll hand them over, and she will turn right around right, and hop back. back over to me. So that's crazy. So they are, so they do have the tendency to, to recognize people, or not tendency, but they have the ability to recognize people. Yep. I mean, reptiles are generally a lot smarter than people give them credit for. Facts. Very, yeah. very true. Awesome. Okay, I think, I think we covered um, all the questions I have. So, uh, Mr. James? Thank you very much for doing this with me. My pleasure. This was I appreciate fun. you coming on. Can you let everybody know where they can find you on Instagram? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at uh, the tag I am nomad. That's I underscore am underscore nomad underscore. And um, I will put that in the show yep. notes. Uh, that was at one point my personal Instagram account. It is now primarily just my lizards. Um, yeah, it's 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 fun to talk. I love sharing with people about this. It's I mean it is my job. I talk with people about lizards all day, and I often find myself talking about these guys because they are after work as well. Fascinating creatures. They're they get a really bad rap for being nasty animals, but they are very intelligent and if respected and kept properly, they're beautiful. They're partners. No, hundred percent. No, thank you for sharing all your uh, knowledge on. Uh, I mean, I came to to you to speak about lychees for a reason, right? <laughs> the lychee king himself. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah, no, 100%. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to cut that here or just I mean, yeah, back to will. myself. Let's get our drink on. That sounds good. Thank you all so much for tuning in to episode 7 of Daphne's Roundtable. Make sure you give James a follow on all his social medias. Also, if you're enjoying hearing these episodes, I would greatly appreciate subscribe on whatever uh, podcasting platform you're using. And if it's Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, then make sure you leave us a review as well. Um, you can find me on all social medias as Daffy's Reptiles. Make sure you give me a follow and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.